There it goes, deep into center field. Way, way back goes Matty Alou, and that ball is in astro orbit. And the little dynamo, the toy cannon, now has 76 runs batted into the year. What a shot. Hey there, everyone, and welcome to Episode 9 of Toy Cannon Cannon. I'm Vic Ragupathy. I'm Jacob Wessels, and today we have a very special guest. We are joined by perhaps the podcast's number one fan and my granddad, Gary Lightman. Well, it's a pleasure and an extreme honor to be on your podcast. I uh, would like to believe, and I think I am, your number one fan. 3-2. Alonso hits one deep to left. Tendler going back. He's at the track, looking up. Goodbye. Another one for Peter Alonso. So I'm going to tell you guys a story that I think we all need right now. It's about an unusually large kid who, when he was 12 years old, snuck away from a day's work on his parents' farm to catch a ball game. Because, you see, not a lot happens in Oklahoma. But on this day, something special was happening. The kid had always loved sports. But since he was big and from Oklahoma, he had grown up playing football. But on this day, when professional sports came to his small town, Dizzy Dean was coming to town to pitch in an exhibition game against Satchel Paige and his barnstorming Kansas City Monarchs. And it was after that day, Joe Bauman would never play football again. The baseball was too interesting, too much fun. And since he'd always been a nice guy, football was just too violent. On that summer afternoon, Joe Bauman decided he wanted to become a baseball player. And not the kind of baseball player who made big money playing in the major leagues and chased championships and awards, who made baseball his job. But instead, his dream was to bring baseball to small towns like his and recreate the magical day of summer that changed his life over and over again. How ironic then, that on the same day, on the same page of the same newspaper that outlines Bauman's magical day at the ballpark, we see an opinion piece chastising Ken Griffey Jr., perhaps the most beloved player ever, for complaining about how he needed rest, and he didn't want to play in an exhibition game in Zebulon, North Carolina, that was part of baseball's project to establish goodwill after the 94 strike. That's because, while well, baseball might be a pleasant distraction for us, it was Griffey's job, but one season into double-A baseball for the Boston Braves marred an intense contract negotiation. Joe Bauman realized he didn't want baseball to be his job. He just wanted baseball to help create the magical day when he was 12 years old again and again. So at 26, he retired from professional baseball, moved back to Oklahoma, opened up a gas station, and started playing semi-pro ball for the Elk City Elks. In a way, Joe Bauman represented a different way baseball could be a job. The job countless minor leaguers, many of them recognizing they probably don't have a shot at the show, sign up for every summer as they accept pitifully low amounts of money bring baseball joy to towns across the country. That's the true magic of minor league baseball. At their lowest levels, they aren't about prospects, promotion, and even major league baseball. It's about the magic of a warm summer night, a hot dog, the pop of the mitt and the crack of the bat, cheering without real concern about the outcome, and the joy of seeing something so familiar, so freeing, and so fun. Minor league baseball didn't die this week but the release of hundreds of minor league players certainly didn't help. It's been dying for a long time, actually, ever since Joe Bauman hung him in his cleats, if we're going to be honest. But right now, in this unique moment, the minor leagues are what we need most. 
Baseball comfort food, free from all the controversies and negotiations that have baseball in the news right now. Because no matter how beloved the stars of the majors may be, baseball is a job for them. That's why we need the minor leagues, to remind us that baseball is a children's game. It's supposed to be fun and comfortable and familiar. Once we learn this crucial lesson, we might be lucky enough to watch someone do what Joe Bauman did once again. But what exactly did he do? Well, that story starts one day, four years after Bauman retired from professional baseball, when a mysterious man walked into Joe Bauman's gas station, took one look at his 6'5", 240-pound frame, and asked him, son, have you ever played baseball before? So we're going to talk now about what Joe Bauman did and what makes his accomplishment so special and, and kind of how Joe Bauman represents minor league baseball as a whole and what's been a tough week for minor league baseball. So Joe Bauman, uh, you know, decided he wanted to become a baseball player uh, after this, going to this game and, and watching this baseball when he was 12 years old. And, you know, he was quite successful playing in rural Oklahoma. He got you know, drafted. He, he was playing for the Dodgers farm system for a little bit. He never made it past a ball. He then went to war when he came back from World War II. Uh, he signed on with the Boston Braves. He got promoted all the way as high as AAA. And basically in his AAA season, the team wanted to cut his salary. And he basically said to the team, look, I can make more money selling shoelaces on the street corner in El Paso. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to go home. I'm going to make my money the way I want to make my money. And I'm going to play baseball for fun. Because he didn't want baseball to become a job. That was his whole thing. He just wanted baseball to be fun. And so he went back home. And he opened up a gas station. He found some semi-pro team that's not on baseball reference, not anywhere. You can't find any of his stats from this time. It was just kind of a dark period. And for four years, that's what Joe Bauman did. He hung out and he played semi-pro baseball. And then as I alluded to, one day some guy came into Joe Bauman's gas station and informed him that they were starting up a new league of minor league baseball. They were starting up this league called the Longhorn League. And it had been in action for a few years, but they were still looking to get talent from the local area. It was basically the lowest level of minor league baseball, like the lowest level you can possibly get. And they were looking for players to fill out some of these rosters, and all the teams were going to come from the Texas, Oklahoma, New Mexico area, that kind of area. And he was starting a team in, in um, Asteria, or, 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 or Arrestia. It's a weird name to say. And he wanted Joe Bauman to try out for the team just because of how big he was. And also, you know, once Joe Bauman told him about his baseball background. And so they pull this guy literally off of semi-pro ball fields. And he's like a mythical stature, 6'5", 250. He's already kind of a local legend, right? So kids in the area go to these semi-pro games all the time. The, the semi-pro team is like a, a local celebrities. And Joe Bauman is the star of this semi-pro team. They pluck this guy out from that crazy background and they put him into the lowest level of minor league baseball. And Joe Bauman absolutely destroys it. He has one of the craziest couple of seasons ever. So his first two seasons, 1952-1953, he hits 375 and 371. He has fit over 50 home runs in each season. He has 157 RBIs, 141 RBIs. I mean, he has one of the, he slugs over 800 one of those seasons. I mean, he just has one of the, two of the craziest baseball seasons ever. And by the way, I looked it up since you mentioned this, but he was nine years older, but growing up in Welch, Oklahoma, he grew up one county over from, any guesses? 
No clue. Mickey Mantle. Mickey Mantle. Oh, wow. wow. And so, so there's a couple of things that, you know, we got to talk about when we talk about, about Joe Bauman and, and what he accomplished. So, you know, we've set the stage first two seasons. He's age 30, age 31 seasons. He goes off. And there are some just interesting things about the way Joe Bauman played. So first of all, it's worth noting that this league that he was playing in, the Longhorn League, was ridiculously offensive. They, when they were creating this league, they wanted to create a league with maximum offense. So basically, they built all these stadiums facing directly in the direction that the wind would push balls out. And they put them in areas where it would be conducive. So there were sometimes 20, 30 mile an hour winds blowing out almost every game. And that was just kind of what was expected in this league. The, there were quotes from old newspapers that were basically like, a pitcher could hit 15 home runs in this league. And pitchers did hit 15 home runs in this league. But at the same time, that shouldn't diminish what Joe Bauman was able to do because he did it better than everybody else. And he did it on a level of magnitude that was so much different than everybody else. And Joe Bauman was also kind of a pioneer uh, in this league. He certainly played to the league's style. Uh, he was perhaps the first player um, ever to kind of discuss, or right up there with Ted Williams, uh, to kind of discuss, you know, the art of hitting in a way that discussed a lot of the things we talk about in the modern day. He was a pioneer of the launch angle revolution well before it happened. Uh, tried to golf and elevate the ball up into this wind because he recognized there was an advantage. He called this method cowtailing, um, I guess because it kind of, you know, he could swing his bat like a cow swings its tail, uh, trying to golf the ball out. And that was a big thing. I mean, that was in the newspapers nationally for a while. Because again, he's putting up these crazy numbers. And minor league baseball is just more of a draw. So national newspapers are following his crazy seasons. And they're writing about Joe Bauman. They're writing about what Joe Bauman is doing. They're writing about what Joe Bauman has to say. You know, that's, you know, the kind of the, the, the core of what Joe Bauman is about. And Joe Bauman is really just all about fun. He talks about how you know, he would be drinking beers during games. Similarly, he's chain smoking in the dugout. I mean, he just like, I, this is what Joe Bauman was. He was just a mythically large slugger just trying to have a good time. And while his numbers were good, they were not yet mythical. They would not become mythical until the year 1954. 1954, he gets traded, or I think he just decides to sign actually in Roswell with the Roswell Rockets. Uh, which is a new expansion team to the Longhorn League. Um, Great game. Area 51 had happened by then, right? Yes, it had. It was just on the, on the, the backside of Area, 50, uh, of Area 51. And actually, uh, there's some fun stuff we're getting to a little bit later. But this 1954 season will go down as perhaps the greatest offensive season ever by a professional baseball player. Joe Bauman hits 400. He has a 535 on base percentage. He has a 916 slugging percentage. All of that means a 1451 OPS. And this is not in a small sample size. This is in 670 plate appearances. He has 224 RBIs. But the icing on top of the cake is that he hit 72 home runs. Wow. Oh. 72 home runs would break the record for the most home runs ever hit in a professional baseball season, which was 69 heading into the year. Um, and Bauman had quite a chase to kind of get to that 69 number because he hit 13 home runs in the final 14 games of the season. Jesus. I so, know. Uh, he came on super strong. So he was, he was with, with about, with, with, with 14 games to go, he was, you know, he was obviously a couple home runs off the pace. And he has a four home run game. 
And that starts to really bring some attention to Bauman. And then people are like, oh crap, he might actually do this. But he goes into the final game of the year, still tied for the, for the record. So he's tied for the record at 69. And in the final game of the year, they bat him lead off to try to maximize the number of at-bats he can get to chase down this record. And he hits not one, not two, but three home runs. In the town of Roswell, New Mexico, where there are 30,000 inhabitants, there are reporters from Sports Illustrated, the Associated Press, all of the major publications. Life Magazine was there. They are packing the stands to watch this guy go for a home run record that at the time was actually seen as one of baseball's premier records. Obviously, the major league record was held on its own pedestal, but second to the major league record in a lot of people's eyes was the overall home run record as to just who could literally, given the physical constraints of a baseball season, hit the most home runs. That guy was Joe Bauman. Wow. And so 72 home runs was a big story in baseball. First of all, we'll go to why he probably increased his output from 50 home runs to 72 home runs. And that is because not only was he playing in a ballpark or in a league where everything was offensive driven, everything was never, Roswell especially played in a band box. It was 326 down the right field line, 390 to center. And this is a giant lefty hitter. But that is not to discredit his home runs because his teammates continued to say he hit balls that would travel farther than we've ever seen balls hit. He hit probably numerous 500-foot home runs that season. What, I mean, wind-aided 500-foot home runs, but still 500-foot home runs nonetheless. One of his teammates said he didn't just hit the balls over the fences. He hit the balls over the lights. And so that's kind of what you're looking at here. You're looking at a guy with legitimate light tower power. <laughs> this was one of these stories in baseball. Newspapers across the country were writing about his home run chase, especially in Texas. I mean, he was the most famous baseball player in Texas, Oklahoma, New Mexico in this time period. No doubt about it. People were flocking from everywhere to watch this guy play. Like, I can't really think of a time that major media cared about minor league baseball for someone that isn't a prospect. Like, obviously, they cared about minor league baseball when Bryce Harper was playing in Harrisburg or things like that. Like, the only thing I can think of is, like, he was a prospect. He made it to the majors, but like there was intrigue around Pat Venditti, but obviously that, that the, the ambidextrous pitcher. But I mean, that was like a small, kitschy back page type of story, like something that SportsCenter would play some funny music over when he would go toe to toe with a switch hitter. Like it wasn't uh, an SI. I don't know if this was a conversation. It wasn't like a big SI story or anything like that. It was, you know, and he, also kind of was a prospect. Yeah. SI, while we were on the topic, dubbed his 72 home runs the sports statistic of the year in 1954. It was the statistic of the year. I mean, there were lots of things that happened. One of the things that happened that year is someone ran a sub four mile, first sub four mile ever. No, Joe Bauman's home run was the statistic of the year, which is really something else. And I think what's kind of lost in the season is that not only did he hit 72 home runs, he hit 400 and drove in 224. 224 RBIs is unbelievable. Like, how many, how many other extra base hits was he getting? Uh, he had 35 doubles and three triples. Uh, he had 199 hits because like, they only played 138 games. It was a bit of a shorter season. But if you pace it out to 162 games, he would have had 85 home runs, which is really just... <laughs> 
I mean, it's comical to think about. When you think about what it required for Barry Bonds to do what Barry Bonds did and all the steroids and whatever, they were interviewing Joe Bauman after all of the Barry Bonds stuff and whatever just to be like, what do you think about it? What's your take on you know, the steroid scandal? He said, well, back in my day, I also had steroids. I had beer. I mean, that's the kind of guy that Joe Bauman is. So here are some, some things, you know, kind of about, about Joe Bauman, uh, just uh, generally. There, there was actually, it's actually a pretty crazy year in the minor leagues in general. Uh, 1954, Vic, we've already talked about the 1954 minor league season on this podcast. Do you know why? We talked about the 1954 season. Indians won the pennant that year, so that's around Herb Scores' beginnings. Is that, is that what we're talking about? Correct. This is the year that Herb Scores struck out 330 people in the first. Right, okay, yeah. And there was also a guy named Bob Lennon, who was playing in double-A at the time, who actually also was coming close to breaking this record. Through about September, not through September, through about August, Lemon and, uh, Lennon, sorry. And, I was going to say, I, was, I didn't know whether you said Lennon or Lemon. I was like, Bob Lennon, like the Hall of Famer? No, Bob Lennon, not Bob Lemon. I am Joe, Joe Bauman and Bob Lennon, who was this guy in double-A at the time, were battling back and forth for the, uh, for the home run lead in the minor leagues. And the minor league home run race was a legitimate race that was covered. Or less the minor league home run race and more just the baseball home run race overall. Who was going to have the most home runs across all of organized baseball? It was a real thing that people tracked. So they were kind of in a back and forth battle. Eventually, Lennon kind of trailed off. And Bauman went on to hit 13 in his final 14 and obviously you know, steal the record by a mile. Um, Bauman would lead the minor leagues in home runs uh, three straight years, his first three years in the Longhorn League. Uh, and in his entire career, he would hit uh, uh, 337 minor league home runs, which ranks him right up there at the top of the minor league home run list all time. And one of the things that makes Bauman so special is, is that people did not necessarily come calling after his 72 home run season. It wasn't like teams were like, oh, we're going to you know, promote you, bring you up. He just didn't really want to play anywhere but in this league. Because to him, he just hated the East Coast. He didn't want to play like professionally organized baseball. He didn't want to play baseball in the East Coast for these East Coast teams. He just wanted to play in small towns in Texas, basically. And he wanted to become a folk hero in small town Texas and New Mexico and whatever. He didn't care about anything else that comes with baseball. It's just such a magical, a magical story for him. Uh, when we're on the topic of accolades, he was also named Baseball America's Minor Leaguer of the Century in a vote in 1999. I mean, he is literally Mr. Minor Leagues, and I think he really represents what the minor leagues are all about in a way. Yeah, I don't. I wonder where Luke Easter landed on the all-time minor leaguers because he's one of our uh, he's one of our inaugural uh, members of the canon. For those that don't know, and he was he was a very similar minor league legend himself. He played, you know, a couple of years in the Negro Leagues and got a couple of years in the major league. He was really, really old when he got to that point for a baseball player, so he spent a lot of the back portion of his career in the minor leagues. And also before he got called up, he was in the Pacific coast league where he put up badly stats and he was very much the same way, like a mythical guy, but like a fixture of the community um, that like people really appreciated and loved. And it, it, it was that kind of thing where, you know, and he was even playing like Buffalo. He was playing on the East coast um, at times, you know, where people, uh, are, you know, do have bigger cities and can maybe make a trip to New York City or to Pittsburgh or, or somewhere to catch a professional game if they want to. That can be really, really big in terms of 
where minor league baseball fits into our cultural scene. Yeah, and, and I want to talk about the minor leagues as a whole because this has been a big, a big minor league kind of news and note. But there is one final thing I want to talk about when we talk about Joe Bellman. Uh, I mean, there's obviously lots of stories just about how mythical he was and just kind of the whole time period and all this stuff. But he actually was able to make good money playing baseball. And the reason why he was able to make good money playing baseball has nothing to do with his contract. He's being paid pennies by the team that he was playing for. But there was a tradition in the Longhorn League, uh, and, and I don't know if it transitioned to other minor leagues around the time. It was specifically a, a Longhorn League thing. Fans, if you did something that the fans liked or thought was enjoyable, would basically tip you. So they would just throw money out onto the field after you did something, and then you would collect it, and then you would, would go on your merry way. And so Joe Bauman, when he was having his record-breaking season, said he was making about $150 a night. Like his average night was about 150 bucks, which in this time period is crazy money. And on the night he broke the home run record, he made $800 for people. Who wow. Um, which was basically a quarter of his annual salary. Not only was he making the money from the, 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 the fans, he was also making money from the rest of the community because he didn't have to really pay for food all season. And that is because some poor guy came up with perhaps the worst promotion of all time. Uh, when the team came to Roswell, a local uh, Roswell ham manufacturer said, every player that hits a home run, I'll give them one ham for every home run. And I don't think he expected someone to hit 72 home runs because he was giving a Joe Bauman a ham basically every day. And Joe Bauman was like, I hate ham now. I can't eat ham ever again. He had ham every single day that season. He was eating for free because they kept getting hams. He, would have to, he had so many hams. He was donating hams to his teammates because he didn't know what to do with them. <laughs> if, I got, if I received 13 hams in 14 days, I think I might go crazy. I, I know. He didn't, he didn't really know what to do. Um, his hand manufacturer clearly didn't know what league was playing right here in Roswell. Like, does he not realize that there are people? I don't know. I mean, it was definitely a mistake. And that's Bauman. After he hit the home run that broke the record, he went to the bar. He had a few drinks with the locals. And then he went to work at his gas station the next morning. And that is, you know, what he represented. And he still lives in, in well, he lived. I think he recently passed away about 10 years ago. Um, but he lived in Roswell the rest of his life as like kind of a local legend. People would still walk down the streets and they'd say to him, when I was a kid, like I remember what you would do. Because he's still a larger than life figure. He's a huge guy, 6'5", like 240. I yeah, mean, about so. as big as that's even a little bigger than me. Just a massive figure. Uh, in popular culture, someone wrote a, a actually there's a short story written about uh, kind of a, a sci-fi story about how basically Joe Bauman's 72 home run season was powered by alien powers as a result of his location in Roswell. Um, and it certainly is something kind of from X-Files. You know, Jacob, if you were talking about the minor leagues, I thought you ought to mention that you actually attended a historic minor league game that maybe will live forever in history. That is true. We attended, well, the problem is the record doesn't stand because it was an extra innings. It became an extra innings game. Uh, it is actually an all of organized baseball record. Vic, I, don't, I think I've told you, although I'm not clear. Yeah, a, a little bit ago. We all attended a baseball game that was the longest nine inning game in the history of professional baseball. Well, not a favorite. 
my granddad and, I, and the rest of my extended family, uh, between the Harrisburg Senators and I forget who they were playing, maybe the Richmond Flyers. Uh, I can't remember either. But well, I do uh, remember your brother, who Gage. all he wanted to do was go home. And every time one of the one team would get ahead, and then the Senators came back. Yeah, it was, it was the game was like 10, the game went like, it was like 7 nothing. The other team came back to tie at 7-7. Then they went up like 11-7. The other team went up like 15-11. So then they were up by like, a, they were up by like six going into the ninth. They blew right. a six-run lead in the ninth inning. To, to, to go down in the game, they were down by, they had they gave up like 10 runs in the ninth. They go down yeah. to the bottom of the ninth, down by four, and then hit, score four runs to send the game to extra innings. And it was the longest nine innings of baseball ever. But the problem is it doesn't appear in any record books because it is not the longest extra innings games played, obviously. Uh, yeah. And it ended after like 10. But it is counted as an extra innings game because it went to extra innings. But had it ended after nine innings, it would be the longest nine inning baseball game ever played. <laughs> I will never forget that game. Which, is, which was really something. I, it, was like, it was like a five-hour game. I mean, the whole thing yeah. Speaking of the Senators, Gary, didn't you play a role in bringing the Senators to Harrisburg or attempting to bring them? Yeah, well, I did. Uh, unfortunately, my bid didn't make it, but I wanted to uh, – that was – I love, obviously, I love baseball. And uh, I so wanted to be – I thought to be an owner of a minor league team would be a wonderful thing. So we put together a whole deal with where the stadium would be, which is where I wanted it, and the deal we had was uh, to put it at uh, where Harrisburg uh, Community College was, which I thought was a great spot for parking, whatever. And unfortunately, another group got together and they wanted to put this uh, team on City Island, which I thought was a terrible idea because City Island floods all the time. But the mayor was uh, supportive of that group and unfortunately, uh, they won. We lost. And uh, so I didn't have the opportunity. You know, that, but I'll tell you, the Harrisburg Senators being there has been a wonderful thing. I mean, we got to see Vladimir Guerrero, uh, Bryce Harper, uh, uh, what's his name, the pitcher for the Senators, uh, Strasburg, Steven Strasburg. I mean, there's been a lot of big names have gone through Harrisburg. No, I remember I saw Bryce Harper play when he was in Harrisburg. He threw out a guy at the plate. He didn't get a hit. I was upset about that. But uh, little did I know, Bryce Harper, a future Philly. Yeah. Um, yeah. You got, the, you got yeah. the jersey, right? Yeah, I have a Bryce Harper Harrisburg Senators jersey. One yeah, of my you know, jerseys. Yeah, that's funny because remember I was trying to buy you one. And I, I said that you'd already bought me one. <laughs> I forgot all about it. <laughs> Just a quick question. Was your, did your proposal include a – proposed nickname was senator or was senators what it was going to be always senators no that was always going to be because the original you mentioned satchel page and some of these great guys from the negro league they they all played from time to time in harrisburg with the harrisburg senators uh, and they that was a uh that's a, a very historic team and that name had to be i mean it just there was no doubt that's what the team was going to be called Mm, yeah i mean this serves as a perfect segue kind of into talking about minor league baseball as a whole and 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 in researching jim bauman i just kind of realized that he was the perfect minor leaguer i mean he stepped away from baseball basically because he didn't want to become too professionalized 
And then he went to the lower levels of the minor leagues and he just kind of wanted to have fun and wanted to, you know, bring baseball joy. And I think that's really what the minor leagues are about. I think, I think that, you know, recently we've made the minor leagues about prospect development and whatever. And that's obviously a crucial role the minor leagues play. But when we're cutting all these minor league players, it's easy to be like, oh, well, they weren't going to make the majors anyway. But I don't think that's the point. I think that the minor leagues is, is a different kind of baseball. As I said in my, my intro, it's kind of baseball comfort food. Mm-hmm. And I think it's the kind of baseball I, I want right now. I don't even know if I want major league baseball right now, but I know for a fact I want minor league baseball. Yeah, there's, there's some good action when you talk about indie league baseball. I don't know how many Lancaster Barnstormers games you guys have caught, but that's always a good time. Oh, yeah. yeah it really is. They, well, there's the York Revolution. There's uh, obviously uh, the Reading Phillies, which uh, is – that's where that great team we talked about when the, with the, with the, that became great, they all came out of Reading. Uh, Mike Schmidt, uh, Greg Luzinski, uh, 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 Larry Boa, all these guys came through Reading. Yeah, so let's break down a little bit about, about minor league baseball and about minor league baseball in the time period. And kind of why, so even though minor league baseball is still really special now, I think minor league baseball would obviously be more special if there were guys like Joe Bauer. You don't see guys in high A putting up 72 home run seasons. And why is it that you don't see guys in high A putting up 72 home run seasons? Because they get called up. Mid 72 home runs, someone's calling you up, probably to the major leagues. Yeah. And the reason why Joe Bauman never got called up, and the reason why uh, you know th- this kind of stuff was able to happen in the time period, for one, Joe Bauman was probably not that good a baseball player. He was 32. Apparently, he was historically slow. He could barely move on the baseball field. I mean, this guy hit dingers, and that was but all he hits. Three um, triples, though, in that season, the band box. He was a very good defender, smooth with the glove, but he couldn't really move. Um, he was very slow, and he had trouble hitting lefties. I would love to know what his splits were like. Obviously, we don't have splits from the Longhorn League of 1954, but there's a lot of writing about how he really struggled against left-handed pitching. But if someone hits 400, I have a hard time believing they struggled against left-handed pitching. But if he was hitting righties to like a 550, 600 clip, that would also be something I'd love to, I'd love to learn about. But most importantly, because they'd get called up. And that is how the minor league system has changed. So when Joe Bauman was in the minor leagues in, uh, in, in 54, most of the minor leagues were unaffiliated. So they were, they were affiliated with Major League Baseball as a whole, but they were unaffiliated with organizations. And so they just kind of existed. And they played their seasons, and Major League teams could basically coach players from these leagues at will. They weren't affiliated with a specific team. Obviously, teams had their, their foreign teams. They had a triple-A team, a double-A team, and a single-A team. But below that, the, like the rookie ball levels, whatever, there were lots of leagues, and none of them were affiliated with teams. There were way more leagues. In 1950, there were 58 minor leagues in organized baseball and countless more like semi-pro leagues. But 58 leagues, even if each league only has 10 teams, 15 teams, that's hundreds and hundreds, almost 600 minor league baseball teams. Every small town in the country had a minor league baseball team. And that's how these, you know, that's small towns really- getting, getting baseball exposure, right? They weren't following the major leagues you know, in, in Texas. Like, you look at a newspaper from the time period. I spent a lot of time looking at old newspapers today. You look at a newspaper from the time in Oklahoma. There's, a, there's a huge write-ups recapping every single game from the Longhorn League. And there's like a couple paragraphs on the MLB action. 
So people were following the MLB, but the real baseball that they cared about and they followed were these local minor leagues. And they were really special. And players didn't necessarily want to leave them because people cared about them. The, you know, there wasn't a ton of upward mobility if they weren't that good. Why would you want to be a double-A player if you could, you know, make $800 and get free ham and be the star of the show in the long run? If you were only going to make double-A and not make that much money, right? And, and, and there was like a, just, it was just a different system, right? And, and that's why I say that, you know, people talk about the minor leagues dying this week with the cutting of all these minor leaguers and whatever. But the minor leagues started dying in the 1960s when teams started to, you know, really cut down on the minor league franchises and all of them became affiliated. Come the 1960s, these unaffiliated minor leagues just didn't exist. And I think the best way to tell that story is by going back to our friend, Joe Bauman. Joe Bauman played first base for Roswell until 1956. He took a year off in 1957. He tried to come back in 1958 for a bit, didn't really. Because in 1958, the team became an affiliate of the Pittsburgh Pirates. And in 1958, they were trying to clear way for a new player. They didn't want a 35-year-old Joe Bauman they were trying to clear the way for a prospect, a rookie, well, not even a rookie, a freshly drafted Willie Stargell. And so Joe Bauman was replaced at first base by Willie Stargell. And that's why I say that Joe Bauman represents the beginning of the death of the minor leagues. Because here is this minor league hero who is clearly still capable of putting up ridiculous numbers. Three seasons ago, he had 72 home runs. And the Pirates basically said, no, we don't need you. Go away. We will cut you. And because he couldn't play in Roswell anymore and didn't want to move, he just went back to his gas station because they wanted to clear way for a prospect. And I don't want to say that the prospectization of the minor leagues is like the real issue, but it's the, the fact that it became affiliated so ingrained in player development and getting everybody to the major leagues, that's not what minor league baseball should be about. Minor league baseball should not be about getting people to the major leagues. It should be about exposing the country to baseball and places to baseball that don't have baseball. And what, and like you're saying, like that's not the main problem with the minor leagues, but I think there's one big thing that MLB owners are almost buying into all the, not wrong, but all, all the downsides of that Joe Bauman era of minor league play because they make conditions so poor and salaries so, you know, pitiful and they don't provide for their, and they, and they don't really provide for their players in the off season. They don't even during the season, uh, living conditions can be really, really rough. Like the provisions for minor league players have not improved very much in the last three, four decades. Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, it's certainly interesting. And it, it's just, it's a different... It's, it's, almost different like, it's almost like MLB owners in their actions are saying the minor leagues are now a business. This is about bringing up prospects. You know, this is about development. Um, and it's very important to the health and future of our ball club. But with their pockets and with their contracts and with um, the way that they deal with playing conditions, it's like they're treating it as though this is the Longhorn League. It's like they're saying, you know, even though this is one of the most important aspects of our organization as a whole, 
hey, it's the minor leagues, man. You should be, you know, playing for peanuts and lo- and applause from, you know, all the local well-wishers. And like, hey, you should get a day job. I know. And the point is, it's possible for minor leaguers to do well, as we can see from the Joe Bauman thing. Like, there are ways that minor leaguers could make money back then that we just don't see in custom and in practice now. And I think that's because it's not the town's team, right? Like, if you're right. – like, Joe Bauman was Roswell's guy. If Joe Bauman is Pittsburgh's guy and they're just calling him up all along the way, what do, like, what do they care? Like, because, like, how, why is a minor league city supposed to get invested in their minor league players if they're not going to spend more than a couple months with the team? Unless they're mega stars, you know, you need to have like the same franchise feel at these smaller levels. And that's what I think is, you know, the upward mobility of baseball is fascinating. But I almost think that people should try to kind of stymie that. Make people want to stay in the minor leagues. The ultra talented players will always make the majors. But giving minor league baseball life in that capacity, and that might become a result of more indie leagues and less affiliated minor league teams. I'm that is my my side take. I, it's unclear to me if it's going to work or not. But I, was, I do actually think the cutting of all these minor leaguers might be good for amateur baseball as a whole. Because I think indie league conditions can often be better than minor league conditions. And I think the indie leagues are more conducive to gaining fans in the local area. If I live in a small town and there's an indie league team there, like I'm getting super invested in that season, especially if the quality of play is pretty good. Yeah, and, you can get like good double to quad A type quality in, in some independent in some independent yeah. and, and so the point being is if this leads to a stronger support for indie leagues stronger talent in indie leagues more profitability for indie leagues more indie leagues popping up i actually think it might be better because it would be easier for for these leagues to succeed and so while i am pessimistic about the cutting of all the minor leaguers i do think there is an opportunity for growth here but i i don't know if we're going to take advantage of that. Yeah, but and the other thing is indie leagues. Indie leagues can be really important for development. And I'm not talking about player development. I'm talking about game development. I think there are a lot there are there are changes, fundamental changes that really have to happen in baseball. Well, changes from both the from the fundamental sense even to the more cosmetic sense. Uh, but there are a lot of changes that have to happen to the game. And since the minor leagues have become a system where you want to prepare your best players as best as you can for the show, independent leagues could really, um, could really carry out that task and uh, be able to be incubate, like incubation leagues for some of the ideas that have to, like, they could – they could try out a seven-inning independent league. They can they can throw a lot of stuff to the wall when it comes to independent leagues, and you know, do the only the only rule is it has to work kind of stuff. I don't know. I think Jacob, you read that book, right? Yeah, I know. I love that book. You know, that's kind of my, my final take on it. I just think that small town baseball is really important because unlike like I don't think small town like basketball works per se. Because in Indiana. <laughs> yeah, but like, but there's something about now, that was another one of my ventures was to bring uh, a small uh, a basketball team to Harrisburg. I still have the sweatshirt if you want it, the Harrisburg Hammerheads, <laughs> and uh, unfortunately that one died. But uh, that was my effort. I figured I'll never get to play for a team. I might as well try to own one. 
there's something about baseball kind of being like, I just think in the summer outside, it's romantic. Like there are small towns all across the country capable of supporting small level baseball teams. We see it time and time again. And it just is a magical atmosphere that is so separate from this major league level. And I thought it was very poignant that that Griffey article was literally immediately below this article about Joe Bauman. So it was this article about this magical minor leaguer, Joe Bauman, who brought all this, you know, joy and whatever towns in Oklahoma. And literally the article below it, I think it was a complete coincidence, was some guy, columnist, ranting about how Griffey is like kind of uh, stuck up and, and, and brutish for not wanting, for being a big city star. Right? Like he only wants to play in major league ballparks, major league accommodations. And he doesn't recognize that small town baseball is a value. And I agree with the writer that small town baseball is really important. Where I disagree is that it is Griffey's job to bring small town baseball back. It is not Griffey's job to bring small town baseball back. Griffey is a major league player. His job is to be a professional, to go out there. But I think we don't respect the fact that minor leaguers' jobs are to bring small town baseball back. And minor leaguers can do that, and we need to like empower them to do that instead of you know cutting them and treating them like shit. You know, uh, right now with uh, all sports on hiatus, what they've been doing with uh, in Harrisburg is having a vote on the greatest moments in sports history uh, affecting central Pennsylvania. And the one that uh, is still so far number one in the polls is remember a player by the name of Milton Bradley? Yes. Yeah. Well, he, he, uh, the first year that the senators came to Harrisburg, uh, they actually made it into the championship and, uh, in the, the, the most amazing thing, one of those things you never think can be real bottom of the ninth last game of the, minor league double a minor league championship series rainy ugly horrible night uh the senators fall behind by three runs there's two outs bottom of the ninth down three they get the bases loaded three and two count to milton bradley and he hits a grand slam home run and the senators won the championship that's minor league baseball. I mean, they'll never forget that here in Harrisburg. Probably has the perfect mix of, like, enough people that are in attendance to make it, like, a big event. But, oh, yeah. But a, the right amount of people to make it, like, a pretty intimate celebration. Yeah, good point. Yeah, and that's, that's crazy that that's uh, atop the list because there are an underrated amount of things, like, Will oh, I know. Will had know. a point game in Hershey or any of the Penn State national championships. Yeah, yeah. But that was something that just uh, will always resonate. I mean, it was just an amazing thing. It was sort of like you have to only see that in the movies, not in real life. So, so I, will, um, I, will, I will close on this. You cannot tell the Joe Bauman story with at least recognizing the man who's ever passed who had equally impressive seasons. Uh, a guy named Joe Hauser uh, hit 63 home runs in the minor league season and 69 home runs in the minor league season. In fact, it was Joe Hauser um, who broke Babe Ruth's record for most home runs in a single professional baseball season uh, when he hit 63, and then he was passed by some guy named Robert F. Krauss, and then he tied the record again with 69. Uh, he did make the majors actually before he started going crazy in the minor leagues. 
He played for the Philadelphia Athletics for a few years in his 20s, and then in his 30s, he went to the minor leagues and just started getting tanks. I don't really know what his story is, but I presume it's a similar story. You know, he just didn't want to play in like the high minors and just toil away and paid nothing. So instead he went to the low unaffiliated minors and just hit bombs. And I, I think that that is something that I'd like to see back in baseball. Guys who play in the low unaffiliated minors just because it's a better lifestyle for them than, you know, like they'll, double triple A can stay for prospects, but for the guys who are career minor leaguers, quad A guys who aren't going to play in the majors again, but also aren't really gaining anything from playing in the minors, I'd love to see them find a way to, you know, play in these kind of indie unaffiliated leagues and put up cool numbers and do cool things. And until we have that, we're never going to see them like Joe Bauman again, that's for sure. Well said. I mean, Joe Bauman grows up one county over from Mickey Mantle. Mickey Mantle had a really rough go of it through his major league career, but especially early on, there was one point where he wanted to quit. Um, I think there were a couple points where he kind of wanted to quit. So who knows? Maybe there's a parallel universe in which Mickey Mantle is going to work in the mines just like Mutt Mantle and is spending his nights playing for some local team in Commerce, Oklahoma, inspiring stories that that Oklahomans would tell you that you would never believe. Yeah, I found an article written uh, by an Oklahoman about this Joe Bauman season uh, uh, after Bonds broke, effectively not only broke McGuire's record, but he also broke Joe Bauman's record because Bonds hit 73, Bauman hit 72. So Bonds is now the all-time home run leader for home runs in a single season of professional baseball. But, I mean, that record was held by Joe Bauman forever, right? 54 to, to, to 2000. And, uh, One. But the guy in Oklahoma was like, you know, it is sad, though, because if Bonds had hit 72, Bauman would still have this. And all of us in Oklahoma, remember, all of us who are growing up in Oklahoma remember this. This was more news than whatever was happening in the major leagues. And, and instead, Bauman has kind of been lost to time. Although Bauman is the great story for local newspapers, especially during the home run chase when people were actually challenging Bauman's record. Because for a while, Bauman hit 72, and then basically Bauman retired, and they changed the whole minor league system, so nothing like Bauman could ever happen again. So Bauman literally did this the last possible chance, and then no one had ever come close because no one was ever going to do it in the minor leagues again. There's just no way for a minor leaguer to do it because if a minor leaguer does something like that, they're getting called up, they're going to the major league, something is going to happen that slows their numbers down. But in the, in the uh, major leagues, it's obviously still possible, but very difficult, and no one had come close to challenging it forever, of course, until Bonds uh, uh, did. Um, and so it was kind of a sad day for, for Joe Bauman, but also a big day for Joe Bauman in the media. Um, I spent a lot of today reading old newspapers from the 1950s, but I also spent a lot of today reading papers from the mid, uh, in the late 90s, early 2000s, when people were starting to get up into Bauman territory. It was a common story for local newspapers to call up Joe Bauman and ask what his take was on this and also kind of relive Joe Bauman's magic moment. Uh, and for all of the great feats that Barry Bonds did, he did not hit 400 and he did not drive in 224 runs in his magical season. I mean, Joe Bauman in- He got in, 162 games. What effectively amounts to, to five seasons. I mean, Joe Bauman played a couple of other seasons, but he didn't do that much. In what effectively amounts to five seasons of minor league baseball, Joe Bauman hit 337 home runs and drove in over 1,000 runs in basically five years, which is 
uh, maybe more like six, but I mean, still, in that short period of time, in six years, to, to hit almost 340 home runs, you know, for a thousand RBIs, that is an entire career. Like, some people wish they could do that in their entire career, and Joe Bauman did it in six years. Yeah.